since Karen's in here tonight, it's not really that necessary, I guess. We'll set it anyway. Um, I didn't know Karen was going to be in here tonight, but I guess she'll appreciate this. She'll understand probably, I presume she will, uh, more than maybe some of you will. Uh, sometimes I tell her that I like her. And uh, of course I love her, right? I have to love her. She's my wife, right? I mean, I, I promised I would. I, I, I took a vow that, that I would love her. I'm supposed to. You expect me to love her. But liking is a different thing. And when I tell her I like her, I'm telling her that I would choose her as a friend. Okay? Apart from the marriage, I'm telling her that I would choose her as a friend. I'm telling her that I admire and respect who she is and how she lives her life. And I'm telling her that if I weren't married to her, I would want to spend the day with her. Okay? And I'm telling her that I enjoy who she is. I take pleasure in her. I take pleasure in being with her, in doing things with her, in talking to her, in laughing with her, and dreaming with her. Apart from all the things that a marriage is supposed to be, I'm telling her that she's fun to be with <laughs> when I tell her that I like her. I like my wife. I like spending time with her. Okay? And I really, really love my wife. And I think that grows out of the fact that I really, really like my wife. <laughs> okay? I really do. And we say that to each other sometimes, that we like each other. And tonight, Jesus calls His 11 disciples. He calls them, he calls them friends. And friend... If, if you belong to Christ, if, you, if, if you're born again, if, if you're a disciple of His, you're a friend of God. And I think there's a weightiness here that sometimes we don't think about. Um, at least to me there is. I went to the dictionary and I looked up the word friend. And here's, here's what the dictionary says. A person whom you know, like, and trust. And I love this about our God. He knows me. I know He knows me, Right? He thought me up, and He designed me, and He created me. He knows me better than I know myself. He knows the hairs on my head, which is not as hard to know as it used to be. But, but He knows. He knows me better than I know myself. But I love this other part of the definition, and it's an arresting thought to me. I don't know if it is to you, but it is to me. God likes me. Have you ever thought about it like that? Jesus said... I call you friends. Jesus likes us. Yes, I get it. I know it. I believe it. It's biblical. It's doctrinal. There are 10,001 ways I can see it. God loves me. But friends, the Bible says not only does God love me, God likes me. And to me, that, that's a different thing. <laughs> and I really like that. I really like that thought. And I, I, it's kind of like the marriage thing. You know, it's a covenant. We, we, we covenant to love our spouse, right? And that's a good thing. But in a good marriage, there's also that like is going on, you know, that like. And, and, and I've thought about it with God. I've thought, well, no, you know, he's, he, he took the initiative. He purposed to love me. He purposed to, to, to covenant and, and, and love me. It's, it's, it's something he purposed to do. But not only does He love me, He likes me. 
And I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thought. Jesus says, I have called you friends. He's saying, I enjoy you. I take pleasure in you. I like spending time with you. You're my favorite people on the planet. God says that. God says, you are my friends. Now, this is not a word that God throws around very much. In all of the Old Testament, it's used about two guys. You probably know who they are. Anyone want to tell me? Huh? No? Now, they were good friends. No? Moses? And one more. Abraham. Abraham. There's only two guys. That the Scripture says they were the friends of God. But you know what the New Testament says? You know what John 15 says? I am too. <laughs> and so are you. You say, well, Jim, I'm not in that, I'm not in that, that select group. That, that's pretty select. That's pretty elite group. Moses and Abraham, that's right. Jesus says, if you belong to me, you're in the same crowd as they are. You are the friend of God. I think that's an awesome, awesome thing. So the friends of God, Abraham, Moses, Jim, Nico, Hannah, John, Mark, friends of God. Friends of God. Friends, this is weighty stuff. <laughs> I think I could just like stop and just worship from about this. The friends of God. And as we continue tonight in John 15, I want to, uh, I want to set the stage for you because some of you came in, come in late. Let me set the context for you. Uh, this is the night before the cross. Uh, Jesus and, and his 12 have been in the upper room. They've had the last Passover meal. Uh, Judas has been dismissed. He's on his way to betray Christ. Uh, Jesus and the 11 have left the upper room. They're on their way to Gethsemane. And as they, pat, as they walk through Jerusalem to, to exit the city, they go through the gate. They're headed for the garden. And no doubt they're walking through a vineyard. And Jesus says to his remaining 11 faithful disciples, he says, that's how it is with you and me. You see that vine and you see those branches? That's how it is with you and me. That's how it is with every believer. Every true believer. Now Judas is gone. He says, he's, he's implying, it's not like that with Judas. Now Judas looked like a disciple, but he wasn't really. He went out from us because he wasn't really of us. Right? We talked about that last week. Now Judas is gone, but he's saying, listen, with you 11 guys, it's for real with you. You're in me. You're a branch, and I'm the vine. And I'm going to give you everything you need. What a, wonderful, what, a, what a wonderful image, and what a wonderful promise. Jesus says, I'm going to give you all that you need. We left off at verse 6 last week, and we, we'll pick up at verse 7. Jesus says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done you. Jesus says, if you remain in me, if you're a true branch, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Now, we talked a lot about this over in John 14 when we hit those two verses, uh, verses 13 and 14 in John 14. Jesus said, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We're going to see him say something very similar over in verse 16. He's going to say that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Now, I, want to, I just want to clarify this. We've talked about it before, but I want to make sure we all understand. Uh, as we discussed when we were in John 14, these verses are frequently misused and abused. 
God has not just offered to give us carte blanche. God has not just offered to be our genie in the bottle. Okay? We talked about, about that over in John 14. We always have to look at context. We always have to look at Scripture. We have to let Scripture balance Scripture. We always have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. We know God does not give the Christian carte blanche. We know that. If we just superficially read the Bible, we understand this truth. Okay? The context here in John 14 and in John 15, it's kingdom work. Okay? It's kingdom work. And Jesus says, when you're involved in kingdom work, He says, anything you ask in regard to kingdom work, I will do it. I will do it. If it's the will of God, I will do it. I want you to understand this. Prayer is preeminently about God. You know this, right? It's preeminently about God's name. Hallowed be His name. It's preeminently about His kingdom. It's preeminently about His will. It's preeminently about His purposes on the earth. It's preeminently about what He wants to do in your life, which is what? Bear fruit. He wants you to bear fruit. Okay? That's what God is aiming at in your life. Yes, God has invited us. Uh, Karen was talking about it earlier, Philippians uh, chapter 4. He says, don't be anxious for anything. In everything, come to me and bring your requests. Isn't that what God says? But I want, yes, we're, we're supposed to bring all things to God. Yes. And in that, God is glorified. And in that, fruit is born. I want you to understand that. God says, bring all things to Him. And, and what happens? When, what does that verse say when we bring all things to Him? And the peace that passes understanding will what? Guard your heart, friends. When you're praying about troubles, when you're praying about trials, when you're praying about hard things, and your family sees you, and your neighbors see you, your friends see you, your family sees you, your extended family, and they see you walking through something, and you're resting in God, friends, that glorifies God. That's, a king, that's kingdom work. That's fruit bearing. So I want us to understand. I want us to understand what, what the Bible's saying here about, about prayer. We know we know that prayer is not simply to gratify our earthly desires. God tells us that over in John 4, 3. He says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So we know what the Bible says here. And notice the condition in verse 7. What does it say? If you abide in me and my words abide in you. If. This is a condition. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. And I will do it. Listen to John Piper summarize uh, Jesus' words here. He paraphrases Jesus and he says, this is what Jesus is saying. If my words are received and remembered and believed and pondered as the living words of a living and present God in your life, ask whatever you will. The inference is, of course, as we saturate ourselves by abiding in Christ, by abiding in His Word, as we saturate ourselves in the Word of God, we will be understanding and we will be praying the will of God. That's what Jesus is saying. We will be understanding it. We will be praying. In fact, in fact, John, John, John wrote this over in 1 John 5.13. He says, If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and we know that, he, we, know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. 
I'm just, I know we covered some of this in John 14, but this is so important. There's so much false teaching about this um, in the church at large. If we simply read our Bibles, we know that prayer is not carte blanche. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in John 14. God told Paul no. He told the apostle Paul no, so don't get your feelings hurt if he says no to you. Okay? Don't take offense. It's God's prerogative. God's prerogative may be no. But what we have to do is what the Lord Jesus does in the Garden of Gethsemane. We have to say, Father, what did he say? Not my will, but yours. That's ultimately where the believer comes in prayer, right? That's ultimately where we come. That's where the mature believer will come in prayer. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. Verse 8, By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Prove to be my disciples. Now, we've talked a lot about this in John. You can't get away from the glory of God in John. We've talked about this. The universe does not revolve around you. It does not revolve around me. Who does it revolve around? Jesus Christ. It's about Him. It's always been about Him. It always will be about Him. It will never not be about Him. It's not about us. It is about Jesus Christ. And why is this a good thing? Why is this a good thing that that it's about the glory of God because the true believer, we've talked about this a lot, the true believer understands that the glory of God is the joy of the Christian. Okay? So we understand that as God is pursuing His glory, He is pursuing our joy. It's not two pursuits, it's one pursuit. As God pursues His glory, he, with every fiber of His being, He is pursuing our joy with every fiber of His being. Friends, this is an awesome, life-changing, mind-altering truth. If you get this in your mind and in your heart and in your soul, the glory of God is our joy. And God is pursuing it with all of His passion. Okay? Only an awesome and breathtaking God can fill our souls. As, as uh, Solomon wrote... Uh, God has set eternity in our hearts and there's only one being who can fill that up. And that's God, okay? And so His glory, His glory is our joy. And Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. And I want you to see how Jesus ties this together. Verse 8, and we'll jump down real quick look at verse 11. He says, My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, then he says, these things I've spoken to you that what? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Jesus is saying, the believer lives in such a way that I and my Father are glorified and when that's going on, the believer's life will be full of joy. We are to do what Paul tells Titus, we are to adorn the doctrine of God. That's what you and I are here to do. That's the only reason He's left us here on the planet. To adorn the doctrine of God. Jesus says, when you live like this, when you abide in Me and abide in My Word and bear much fruit for the Father, when you glorify the Father, He says, My joy will be in you. The, the joy of God the limitless, eternal, infinite, boundless joy of God, I will dispense in your life. 
You know why there's so many unhappy Christians sitting in the pews? You know why there's so many bored Christians sitting in the pews? They're not doing John 15. They're not abiding. They're not believing. They're not obeying. They're not taking risk on God. What it, and so we sit down and we get bored and we get discouraged and there's no joy. Friends, walking with Christ is supposed to be an adventure. That's what He means for it to be anyway. <laughs> it's a challenge. It's supposed to be a challenge for us. Mere mortals can't walk with Christ. Mere mortals can't go with God. Only sons and daughters of God can go. And he says, when you go with me, I will give you my joy. Friends, I want to tell you, we have not signed up for, a, we have not taken a monastic vow. We've signed up for God-sized joy. And I want to tell you, if you don't have it, go get it. It's yours. Abide in Christ. Abide in His Word. Abide in His love. Go bear much fruit for the Father. And God's just going to fill your heart up. Trust me, He will. Believe me, He will. Verse 9 and 10. We'll go back. Jesus says, The Father has loved me. I, I have also loved you. Abide in me. If you keep my commandments and, and you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. you got to hear this. I hope you hear this. Jesus says... As the first member of the Godhead loves the second, so I love you. You got that? Wow. You got to love being a Christian. Jesus says, as the first member of the Godhead loves the second member of the Godhead, so I love you. This is awesome stuff, friends. This is liberating stuff. This is life-changing stuff. If you believe it. We've talked about this numerous times as we've gone through John. We see it over and over and over and over again. You're going to see it all the way through the New Testament if you read your Bible. You'll see it in the New T Old Testament as well. What is the test of love for God? Always. What is the test of love for God? Always in Scripture. Obedience. It's never anything else. It's always obedience. It's always obedience. That's what it is. Jesus says, that's how, you see it right there in the text, Jesus says, that's how I love my Father. That's how you know I love Him. I do what He tells me. And we're supposed to do the same thing. That's how people in the world are supposed to see that we love Christ because we keep His commandments. We don't just say it with our mouth. We go out and do it. We go out and do it. Right? John 14, 15, we saw this a couple a month or so ago. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's one of my life verses. It <laughs> keeps, uh, keeps my eye on the ball. Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified, so bear much fruit and prove to be mine. That's what Jesus is saying. So what is your life saying? Let me just ask you. What does your life say about Jesus Christ? Because you can mark it down, friends. Your life is given testimony what you believe about Jesus Christ. And your friends and your family and your neighbors, they know what you believe about Jesus Christ because your life is shouting it. They know whether he's first or whether he's on down the list somewhere, right? And they know whether he's your Lord or whether he's a Sunday afternoon uh, habit. They know it. The people in your circle know it. Friends, your life is given testimony. It's giving testimony. The Father says, prove to be my disciples. Bear much 
fruit. Glorify me in your life. And we touched on this, but I've got to go back to it real quick. Verse 11. I've got to go back to it real quick. Y'all have heard me say this before, but this really gets me pumped, and, and I love to share it. Uh, you know, we talked about gravity last week, right? Well, this week's gladness, okay? <laughs> One reason I love the, the scriptures. There's that gravity, and then there's that gladness. Jesus says, I'm going to give you my joy. And I just want to plant a thought in your mind so you can think correctly about this. What is the best, one of the best theological answers for, the re, for why God creates? I'm not going to go into a whole big thing here, but I'm going to tell you one of the best theological answers I've ever seen about why God creates is, because God, is that God creates out of His infinite joy. Okay? And, and I, want to share, I want to share a quote with you. John Piper distills Jonathan Edwards for us so the rest of us can understand it. But he says this. This, this quote... I want you to see if you can get this. Creation is simply the overflow of God's infinite exuberance for His own excellence. Creation is simply the overflow of God's infinite exuberance for His own excellence. Friends, God is an irrepressible fountain of life and joy. God is infinite exuberance. And Jesus says, when you live... Like I'm telling you to live, when you abide in me, I'm going to fill you up with infinite exuberance. I've got a great illustration about that. Karen's heard this illustration maybe a lot. But the Hubble telescope, it can't find the end of the cosmos. The Hubble telescope can see 11 billion light years into space. Okay, who knows what a light year is? Yes, Derek. The distance okay, do you know how, how many miles it is? Okay, six trillion miles, okay? So what I'm talking about, when I'm talking about the joy of God, I want you to get this. When I'm talking about the joy of God, I'm talking about 11 billion times six trillion. And that's not the end. That's just as far as Hubble can see. And it was the joy of God, and go read the creation account. Go read the text that talks about all the joy that permeated the created order. And how the angels sang and the stars sang when God spoke them into existence. And the joy that permeated the whole thing. And I want you to understand what Jesus is saying. This is the kind of joy I'm talking about. The kind of joy that spoke a billion galaxies into existence. This is the kind of joy I mean for you to have. You say, well, Jim, I'm not experiencing that kind of joy. Okay, we've got to go back to John 15. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you abiding in the Word of Christ? Are you abiding in the love of Christ? That's it. That's how we receive the blessing of God's joy in our life. Peter said it so beautifully in 1 Peter 1.8. We, we receive joy inexpressible and full of glory. Verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this uh, that one lay down his life for his friends. We talked about this a lot. We, you remember back in John 13, Jesus says, uh, We are to love one another even as I have loved you. By all this, men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We talked a lot about this back in, in John 13. This is the preeminent mark of a true Christian. He loves the brethren. This is like our brand. It's like our label. It's like our logo. We love 
the brethren. Jesus says, you love them like I love you. Now we know we can't love as perfectly as Jesus can, right? We know that. But our love can have the characteristics of the love of Christ. Selfless. Sacrificial. Free. Unencumbered. Expensive. Christ's love was expensive, right? It cost Him a lot. And friends, Jesus is calling us to love the brethren like that. I'm supposed to love Sam as Jesus loves me. And Sam's supposed to love Peter like Jesus loves him. And Peter's supposed to, to love that seal as, as, as Jesus loves him. Friends, this is a high call. <laughs> it's an awesome call. He says, love, love the brethren as I have loved you. You know, John the Apostle, he's walking, he's, they're walking through that vineyard, and John the Apostle's right behind Jesus. He's probably right at his right shoulder. He's hearing these words. He's hearing this teaching of Jesus. And it makes a large impact on, on John because John's going to write 1 John, and the Holy Spirit is going to direct John to, to write in 1 John quite a number of passages about loving the brethren. Just go read through 1 John. It's only a couple of chapters. Just go read through it this week, and you're going to see how many times we're, we're uh, exhorted to love the brethren. But I just picked out one for us tonight uh, for the sake of time. 1 John 3, 16, 18. This is what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about love. He says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Wow. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Jesus says, you are my friends if you love like this. If you love in deed and truth, you are my friends. He says, prove to be my friends. Prove to be my disciples. Love the brethren as I have loved you. Lay down your life. And obviously in the West, we're not talking about martyrdom. What are we talking about? Sacrificial love. Are you loving the brethren like this? Boy, what a high call this is. What a high and lofty call this is. Verse 14 and 15. Jesus says, you are my friends. Wow. If you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. For all things I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. I want, I want to talk about the condition here. You are my friends, what? If you prove to be true branches. If you're in me. If you're in me. If you're fruit-bearing. If you're fruit-bearing. If you do what I say. If you do what I say is what Jesus is saying right here. Again, the, the New Testament love of God is always obedience. Everywhere in the Bible, a genuine relationship with God is manifest and exhibited with a life of obedience. Old and New Testament. And again, I'm, I'm enamored with this, this thing about friendship. I told you a couple of weeks ago, not too long, and I just felt led to share it again. 
when I first became a Christian in tw when I was 28 years old, I immediately landed in a, in a ministry called Bible Study Fellowship back in the States, and they were doing a chapter-by-chapter -chapter study of Genesis, and I remember seeing that whole deal with Abraham and God, and I thought to myself, man, I want to be like that with me. I want to have that kind of relationship with God. Guess what? <laughs> John 15 says I do. John 15 says I can. Because we are, just as Abraham was the friend of God, we are friends of God. You remember the, dif the dictionary definition? A person who one knows and likes. Friends, I want to tell you, if you belong to Christ tonight, God likes you. And God trusts you. Did you hear what he says? He says, you're not like a servant. A servant doesn't know what the Father's doing. A servant doesn't know what the Master's doing. But what does Jesus say? Does he say, I've told you just about everything? Or I've told you most things? Or I've told you some things? What does he say? He says, I've told you everything the Father's told me, I've told you. Friends, this is like a true friendship. God in Christ is confiding in us. God has confided in us. He has shared His heart with us. This is an awesome deal. made me think of Matthew 13. You remember when the, 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 the uh, disciples asked Jesus, why are you teaching in parables? You remember what He said? He says, I'm teaching in parables because it's been granted to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. It has not been granted to them. Friends, He's confided in us. The mysteries of the kingdom of God made me think of Luke 10, 23 through 24. Jesus says, Blessed are your eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you, many prophets and kings wish to see them, but they did not see them. You see them. You're my friends. And I'm confiding in you everything I've heard from the Father. I'm sharing with you. This is big stuff. We are the friends of God. God, I've got to ask you, how can you not be in awe of that? How can that not humble you? How can that not be worship-provoking? I want you to stop and think just a minute. I, I want you to think about your progression. One theologian said it well. He said, from dust to glory, okay? But I'm going I'm to take a little different tact. I want you to think about who you were and who you are. If you're in Christ tonight, I want you to think about who you were before Christ and who you are in Christ uh, Romans chapter 5, you were helpless, ungodly, sinners, enemies of God. Uh, Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins by nature, children of wrath. But God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together in Christ. He raised us up with him and seated us where? I promise this is what the Bible says. He's raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. It's a done deal. We'll be there will be enveloped by the beauty and glory of God. He says, you're not, he says, you're now adopted sons and daughters. You're co-heirs with the Son of God. Friends, we've gone from enemies to being co-heirs in Christ. Do you think about that? Do you meditate on that truth? Friends, I, I, don't let it just be doctrine. Don't let it just be, don't let it be that. <laughs> the Pharisees had decent doctrine. They didn't know God. Don't let it be doctrine. Let it make your heart beat fast. If you think deeply about these things, it'll make your heart beat fast. While we were enemies of God, while we were dead in our sins, He took the initiative. He made a sacrifice. He made us alive. 
Ephesians 2, he regenerated us. Titus 3, he, 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 we were born again. John, John uh, chapter 3, we have become partakers of the divine nature. 2 Peter, we are the friends of God. John 15. Awesome stuff. Jesus says, verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Jesus says, if you're a Christian tonight, I'm saying the same thing to you. I have chosen you. And I've chosen you for a reason, that you might go and bear fruit. I heard one guy say, we weren't chosen to sit. We weren't chosen to watch. We weren't chosen to spectate. Jesus says, I've chosen you that you may go and bear much fruit. Yeah, we, we know we were... It makes me think of that Ephesians 2.10. You know the, the passage. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works with... Does anybody know? Which God what? Prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yes, we know we were created by God, but did you know, did you know that you were created to walk in the good works that He's prepared beforehand for you to walk in. Did you know that? This question came up in men's Bible study in uh, Milan last year. So how do I know I'm walking in the, world, in the works that God's prepared before for me to walk in? How do I know? John 15. Abide in Jesus. Abide in the Word of Christ. Abide in the love of Christ. That's how you know. And as you abide and as you obey, you will be like Eric Little uh, in Chariots of Fire. You remember that great line? I know I've shared it from the pulpit several times, but I love it. He saw that his, his gift of running was, was a, a gift from God. And he says, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. And friends, when you are in God's will, when you are abiding in Him, when you are walking in the good works He's called you to walk in, the works He's prepared beforehand for you, friends, you will feel the pleasure of God. You will. I promise. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You will feel the pleasure of God. So Jesus says, I like you. You're my friends. I like being with you. I enjoy you. I take pleasure in you. Friends, are you spending the time in the relationship? Are you abiding with your Savior? Are you abiding in His Word? And are you abiding in His love? Are you, as, and I'm through, as, as uh, Jesus talked about in John 7, those rivers of living water, remember, are supposed to what? Are they flowing? Are they flowing to, the, to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Have you, are you a channel of love and blessing to the brethren? Is the Holy Spirit flowing through you? Are rivers of living water flowing out of you? Friends, as Jesus is saying, that's what it means. That's what it means to abide in Him. What a beautiful, beautiful text. Last week was gravity, but this week is gravity. Jesus says, I want you to know my joy. And friends, if you don't know it, it's not his fault. It's not his fault. 
Like my, my old pastor used to say, you get as much of God as you want. So how much do you want? Jesus says, abide in me. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, thank you for this awesome text. Oh Lord, thank you that you always challenge us. Father, thank you every time we open the Bible, we get a fresh word. Lord, you love us way too much to let us sit down and, and get comfortable and just be spiritually lethargic. There's not enough joy in that for the children of God. You're always calling us to something greater, something more, something that requires greater faith, something that, re, that, that re, will redound to your greater glory. For Father, we understand from the Bible that as you pursue your glory with all your heart, you in fact are pursuing our joy. So, O oh Lord, we offer ourselves to you. We offer our, ourselves as living sacrifices that you might use us up. Father, use us up in our, in our marriages and in our families. And, Father, in, 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 in our schools and in our church and, and in the neighborhoods. Father, use us up for the glory of God. And, Lord, we pray that you will enable us and, and give us the strength to truly abide in our Lord Jesus, Father, to abide in His Word, to saturate ourselves with the truth and power of His Word, and Father, to abide in His love, that His love will flow through us to the brethren. Oh God, we love You and we praise You. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and, and sing our closing chorus together. Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts, or oh, let the ancient words impart. Ancient words ever true, changing. Have a great week. God bless. You like it when I'm horrible, don't you? Oh, come on, come on. You got to like it. But I can whistle really good, Sam. I can, I can warble as I whistle. It's, it's quite unremarkable. Yeah, only all the tough guys, all the really cool guys could do it.
Thank you.